0: The next chapter with Prims Ripapad is a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, everybody, it's Prim. Welcome to the next chapter presented by Baron Davis and Slick Studios. This week's guest is former NFL wide receiver and return specialist and entrepreneur Walter Powell Jr. Walter was born and raised in St. Louis, Missouri, and attended Murray State on a football scholarship where he'd break all sorts of records and became the program's all-time leading receiver with 2,650 receiving yards, 29 touchdowns, and 10 100-plus-yard gains. And he has since been inducted into the Racers Hall of Fame. Now, after college, he was drafted in the sixth round of the 2014 NFL Draft by the Arizona Cardinals. And during his four-year NFL career, he played for five different teams, including the Cardinals, Jets, Bills, Raiders, and Jaguars. So there was certainly a lot of bouncing around. I reached out to Walter after he wrote this amazing piece for the Players' Tribune titled, What's Your Purpose in Life? It was a first-person account about His transition from football in which he talked about a pivotal moment in 2017 that motivated him to finally walk away from the game of football and into his newfound purpose. How did he pull himself out of this dark place in 2017 after he had been cut by the Buffalo Bills and after he had been dumped by his girlfriend and after he had lost tens of thousands of dollars in this renovation project that went wrong? at what point did he realize football was no longer serving him and that becoming an entrepreneur was his path and purpose in life and how did it feel seeing himself on the forbes 30 under 30 list just a few years after retiring from football and realizing that his passion an app that he had launched called politoscope was really making some waves we explore all these questions during this interview which we recorded in 2019. so here we are Meeting for the first time, recording and filming in an office in New York City, having a conversation about sports, life, and all the ups and downs that this journey brings. for uh thanks for coming here. Thanks for the notification on Instagram. My yeah. Instagram story. You said you were on your way over here. I love how the mode of communication um is is uh multifaceted these days. Definitely
1: is. <laughs> Instagram is an easy way to hit up somebody or respond. So yeah.
0: Well I think that's how I hit I think I hit you up on Twitter. I think it was, or maybe it was Instagram. No, it was, I can't remember.
1: Instagram. Yeah. I suck on Twitter. I got to get, <laughs> I got to get hip on Twitter. A bit.
0: I slid you a DM. <laughs> slid, <laughs> you resp- it go,
1: it go, it go down. In the DM. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah.
0: I got the response. Um, <laughs> no, you know what? When I saw your, when I saw your piece on the player should I, I just, I, it just hit me so hard. It was, it was so good. It was so well-written um, the title was um, "What is What is Your Purpose in Life?" Right? How did that How did that come about? Did they come out? Did they reach out to you, or had you already started writing something?
1: So I already, um, you know, had um, relationships with a few people in the Players Tribune. So I mean, they've heard my story before, and just how compelling it is. Just talking about it, it's like, yeah, we got to get this piece in the in the Tribune. So just definitely a uh, work with a, a journalist to really help bring my story to life, how, how I talk about it anyway. So it was, it was good to really get that exposure and really just, I mean, just cause a lot of athletes feel the same way and uh, not even just athletes, just people in general, just go through those ups and downs. So it was, a uh, it was, it felt good that people really felt just what I, what I put out.
0: It was very, uh, honest and transparent. Um, and usually, you know, with, I, I read a lot of those, uh, athlete, first person stories and, a lot of them, they they warm up mm-hmm. to their to the pivotal moment, but mm-hmm. you kind of went straight into it. Yeah, and you talked about that year in two thousand seventeen, where you were going through a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And I'll let you kind of tell the story. But two thousand seventeen seems like it was probably the toughest year of, of your life. Oh of yeah, your definitely career. was the
1: toughest thing, toughest chapter of my life for real. Just because it was a uh, it was a time I wasn't on a team. Shoot, it was uh, me and my my girlfriend at the time was just going through some rocky situations. And then you know, just someone I trusted um to handle my uh real my real estate back home in St. Louis um actually stole from me. So it was just a lot just really weighing down on me. And I just wasn't it was just it was just tough. But I just knew I couldn't give up and it was um uh, yeah, it was just tough.
0: I I've done a number of these interviews uh at this point and the fact that you were able to articulate everything um from a rational perspective tells me that when somebody can do that they've they've healed and they've already moved on when they can't it usually means that they're kind of still stuck in the storm so it -hmm. it sounds like you've you've really kind of recovered and moved on from that oh yeah
1: and that's just more so just learning more about myself and understanding that at the end of the day we're we're all human you know what i'm saying you who knows how what happened in that person's life for them to this action on me or somebody else you know what i'm saying so you just gotta see it from a different perspective and not from a selfish point of view to really understand how people operate
0: do you journal at all i mean was that the? You, do you write
1: yeah. a lot yeah i mean i shoot i, I do a lot like i write i do paint like i to really just articulate my feelings and everything I, I do a lot of drawing a lot of painting so um play the guitar a little bit like i really just try oh, you're, to,
0: so you're super artistic then yeah
1: i'm super okay. just creative so it's uh yeah. I just try to express it in many ways as possible because I don't like holding it in. and just I just like, ah, so I just yeah. gotta let it out.
0: That's good, because I think a lot of um, particularly athletes, but male athletes, too. Mm-hmm. I think that we live still in a society where we are told to suppress everything and push everything down. And you're supposed to be a certain way. Um, where did where did you find the creative outlet to let all of that out? Where did that come from?
1: Which you mean, like, where does it come from? Answering? Yeah,
0: where did you, where do you get the idea to journal or mm-hmm. um, how did drawing or mm-hmm. or painting or any of that stuff come about? Because there might be athletes that can do that, mm-hmm. but they've never thought of doing that because yeah. they weren't exposed to it.
1: For me, just doing, I've always, you know, been pretty creative, knew how to draw since I was a kid. But just during the time I wasn't on a team, I was able to really do more painting and really just sit there and. Spend hours painting and just hours, just journaling. I was just doing a lot, of writing poems, just doing a lot, mm-hmm. just to really get my keep my mind off, you know, certain situations, so that I wouldn't go down like a negative spiral. So it was just, uh, just I definitely recommend those outlets to anybody. Like just, just being able to be creative and express yourself in different ways. So it really just helped me to just grow into myself and, and did a lot of reading as well. So. Uh, just with reading, you know, uh, it really just helped me figure out who I was as a person and just the higher version of myself. Because I feel like a lot of times people, you know, have FOMO or they just <laughs> yeah. don't want to, they, they're scared to be at home or be alone by themselves. So they overcompensate with, you know, whether it's, you know, going out all the time, drugs, alcohol, I mean, you name it, just so many things to really distract them when all the answers and all the healing mm-hmm. lies within within.
0: Yeah, I think it's a little bit more, I think it's more uncomfortable. No, 100%, it is more uncomfortable Mm -hmm. to sit by yourself and sit still. Mm -hmm. Because I think that that's when you're sitting alone and you're sitting still, that's when people, their mind starts going a little bit crazy. And also the emotions start bubbling to the surface. And so I think we live in a society where everybody's got to be moving around and doing something. But I always try to encourage people like, if you really want to learn about yourself, as you were saying, you got to just be present and just sit still for a moment. And mm-hmm. writing, writing for me, I try to write. I try to journal every single morning. Mm-hmm. It's, it's super helpful for me. Um, and
1: meditating. I forgot. That's I do
0: meditating. meditate. Do you yeah. use an app? Do you
1: I just uh. You just
0: do it by yourself? Yeah, like no just, guided?
1: No, just how, how I started off. Just because during that time I was going through a lot. Like I woke up one morning just super just like I feel defeated. One morning it was like four in the morning just because i knew i had to go through the motions of renovating my houses by myself well, with me and my uncle
0: yeah
1: like uh god told me he's just like he just said close your eyes and meditate so i closed my eyes for the first time for five minutes and meditated and then i started doing that for five minutes for the next two weeks and i went up five more minutes and then it got to a point every two weeks i went up five to the point where i got up to 30 minutes and we're just meditating, and just really, just now I just meditate every morning for like 15, 20 minutes.
0: That's amazing. So you, because for a lot of people it's a gradual process, but for you it seems like things happened really quickly, all in yeah. 2017. You were going through a lot, and then all of a sudden you just kind of like woke up mm-hmm. and had this change. Before I we delve into that, because I, yeah. I I think that's just the critical moment of of that. I don't know if it's going to define your your mm-hmm. life, but I think it's a it's a huge um huge part of it but i, I want to get to know you mm-hmm. so i know you were you were born and raised in missouri mm-hmm. shout out show me state because i was st louis,
1: Saint louis, Saint louis.
0: <laughs> and when yeah. we were going back in the fourth <laughs> i was like i was born in mexico missouri had you you had kind of heard of it mm-hmm. we were talking about the population how it's been like twelve thousand for about 50 years yeah. it hasn't grown <laughs> um so you were born and raised in missouri mm-hmm. okay and what was your childhood like
1: i mean i feel like just um it was just pretty Good childhood, you know, um, single mother. You know, father was, you know, he was around, but he wasn't. He wasn't in St. Louis. He was in Arizona, but he was always, you know, coming to at least two to three of my games each year. So it was a pretty good childhood. Definitely oblivious to all the current stuff that was, that's happening now in St. Louis. You know, mm-hmm. when you were younger, you know, you just, you know, when you're just in a certain area, you're not exposed to a lot of things. So it was a, it was a good, a decent community. But it was, a uh, yeah in sports, you know, follow did a lot of things my older brother did cuz he played in the NFL and you know, he was he's my mentor, best friend, so he just really uh just wanted to be like him, so yeah, just had good time.
0: And so what was your first what are your first memories of being exposed to sports? I guess through your brother. Yeah. And how how much older is he? He's 8. Okay.
1: Yeah, so he's uh um, shoot cuz my uncle used to be he was my my football coach and my brother's football coach, but that was my first time being exposed to football just um, being around my older brother and my uh, uncle.
0: How how old were you? Your uh, first memories? Like
1: five, six. Because I remember okay. one time I got, they thought I was, uh, they thought somebody snatched me up while they was at practice because I went to the park that was right there <laughs> and I was just chilling, playing with a few of the kids and yeah, it was it was funny, but because I got bored, because I was like, man, I'm, I don't these dudes run around hitting each other. I'm gonna go over here play with these kids, and I didn't tell nobody, so that was a big thing. But yeah, that's one of the most earliest, the yeah. earliest memories.
0: So you would go to your brother's practices and watch your uncle coach, mm-hmm. and then and did you play any other sports?
1: Uh, tried baseball. That kind of it was a uh, short lived, just because <laughs> I mean I, I was good at the time, but I just was just one it was boring, and then when I. Had my first pop fly come my way, ran it down. That was the day end of. Uh, I forgot to wear my cup that day, and the ball <laughs> just went and hit me dead in the dead in the balls. And I was like, "Yep, it's time to run some track." <laughs> so I was like, "That's
0: it for baseball." Yeah, I'm good on baseball. Too slow, too painful. Yep,
1: and I was like, "Forget it." <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you, so you ran track and also did football, and mm. it was primarily those two. Yep. At what point oh,
1: basketball a little bit of basketball and
0: a little bit of basketball uh, yeah because I mean I feel like if you're fast
1: mm-hmm. and you're
0: you're athletic but I feel like if you're fast if you don't have good eye hand coordination at least you can play some defense yeah that's how right? I mean I
1: used to file a lot I used to file out a lot because I was fast, but I was just still in football I was just too aggressive as a kid so, yeah yeah
0: <laughs> that sounds about right I'm not I am by no means comparing myself to you, but I did play basketball and the way you just described it, I had no idea what I was doing but I was super fast because I did track as well. So I just thought I was just supposed to run into people and, like, just take the ball and just take off. <laughs> and they're like, uh, you can't do that. Um, so at what point did you realize I actually might have a future in football? I think when
1: I scored my first touchdown. <laughs> as and a how kid, old
0: were you, like six?
1: No, I didn't actually start playing ball until, like, eight or nine.
0: Okay. But that's still but, pretty young. Yeah,
1: still pretty young. But when I scored that first touchdown and I was just like, hmm. This is interesting. I think I can do this for a while. So <laughs> just that's when the just uh the savagery started to happen, started to come out of me. So <laughs> and,
0: and um what was the rest of your career like? Mm-hmm. Um when did you really start to turn the corner and see yourself as a potential, not just an elite athlete, mm-hmm. but somebody who could really do something at the professional level? I was
1: Probably my sophomore year in college, like I already started to, once I just un, started to understand the playbook, you know, just going from high school to college because our high school playbook was so easy. But then once I got to college and it, you know, I got comfortable with the plays, and then I was able to just play fast and just play be me. And then, yeah, I had a had a pretty good sophomore year. Sophomore year, but then my junior year, I just I went crazy. I just had like a twelve hundred yards, sixteen touchdowns. Uh, All-American. She was up for the Walter Payton Award, which is like the equivalent of the Heisman Award, Heisman mm-hmm. award, award of uh, E-1 AA. So yeah. I was just going crazy, going nuts. But that's when I knew, because I could have went out, came out of, came out in my junior year to the NFL, but I just wanted to get a higher draft grade.
0: So you just decided to stay for that Oh, yeah, because I was area. like, if I
1: could get 1200, 1,200 yards this year, next year, I'm going to go crazy.
0: <laughs> you wanted more. yeah. Yeah, but
1: unfortunately, I ended up breaking my foot four four games before the season was up. So I was like eight. I finished with like eight hundred and ninety yards, uh, probably like twelve touchdowns. But it was a. I thought my I thought my career was over. I was I was crying. I was just all over the place. I'm like, damn. I had to go to like the military or some some like that. But they was like it was minor. But it was uh It was just crazy because I was playing on a yeah. broke foot. They said the whole season because I like I wow. thought I had a sprained foot the whole season, but it just finally snapped on me and luckily they said it was a clean break and ended up putting a rod in it healed up probably uh, a few months later for, just just in time for me to uh, participate in the combine so
0: wow yeah, so you a, made it just in time yeah at that point how much was sports um a part of your future and also a part of who you were was it everything or did you have other interests or other plans
1: I mean, at that time, once I realized that I could take this the distance, I kind of just honed in and started to focus solely on football. Like, I woke up every morning. You know, I had a ritual just because I'm just big on rituals. I wake up and watch the same five highlight tapes of guys in the NFL Mm. because subconsciously it kind of got embedded in me. And then I started emulating that on the field. And it was like, how did I do this type of stuff? And it's just constantly repetition and doing that in the morning and just really just – Everything just just doing more than the usual guy would, not so just staying after practice, catching more That's balls, more, running more routes, like just really trying to. Just because I was coming from a small school, I had to do more. So.
0: Right at Murray State.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: When did that When did that routine start? How old were you?
1: It started my um It started my started my junior year. Okay. Well, matter of fact, it started my started my sophomore year because I used to I used to do it I used to do it in a bathroom at all the uh, all our away games, like uh, in the hotel or what, nine in the morning, and then of course in the morning, my uh, in my bathroom in the dorms. But yeah, it started my sophomore year.
0: And that's really cool. It's like it's. Uh, I don't know if you knew what mental imagery was back yeah. then, but that's just like a different form of it.
1: Oh wow! Uh, yeah, I didn't know.
0: Yeah, I mean, well, you know what? Um, I mean, there's there's a lot of athletes that that do it, but it's it's visualization and mental imagery, and and there's just a ton of research that shows that. Um, I'm going to go off on a tangent, but there's this renowned, uh, study that was done on Russian Olympic athletes back in the eighties. Mm-hmm. And they, uh, they had four different control groups and the top, the number one control group did hundred percent training. Mm-hmm. And then they started splitting it up in the bottom. only did 25% training and 75% mental imagery. Mm-hmm. And guess who performed the best the
1: mental imagery, the
0: mental imagery one. And they did. A lot less physical training but they found that the visualization there's something about the brain and if you can see it that becomes a reality Mm -hmm. so you didn't even know what you were doing back then but that's that's exactly what you did and you were only 20 what 20 years old
1: yeah that's amazing yeah because i used to get up early just to be able to get in my morning routine for as getting up in the morning watching the highlights doing my push-ups you know, just reading my uh, devotional and just getting after it. Wow. Because so they say it's like it's either 3 to 5 or 3 to 6 is like God hours, godly hours, when most people aren't up during that time. So it's just more time to just take in all that spiritual energy.
0: Yeah. At uh, what time do you get up?
1: Now you- 5. <laughs>
0: Oh, I like, do too. Yeah. And back then, was that how old? How, 536.
1: 536
0: yeah. in college.
1: Yeah.
0: Not a lot of people do that. Not in college.
1: Yeah, I, I had a goal, so I was I was <laughs> trying to get it.
0: <laughs> okay. So you stayed four years at Murray State and then you get drafted. It was in the sixth round, right? Yeah, sixth
1: round to the Cardinals.
0: Okay. And, and how, how was that transition from college to pros for you? It was, you?
1: it was, it was tough just because even though, you know, we had a, pretty good playbook it didn't compare to just the pro style playbook and it was it was uh, it a, was, it was tough at first just really trying to learn and just getting a routine of everything but uh after a while you know once I got adjusted I was able to I started to slowly start playing like the old me but then right after preseason you know I had a good preseason with the Cardinals and they were just going to sign me to the practice squad but literally like 24 hours later the Jets called me and was like we're going to bring you up have you starting." kick return, pump return for us. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, cool.
0: Yeah, and so <laughs> so again.
1: So yep, Phoenix to New York, so.
0: Yeah, so you were with six different teams. I know the Bills twice, but you were with six different teams what
1: was it? Hold on, across four, four seasons? Cardinals, Jets, Bills, Raiders, Raiders Jags. Jags. Yeah, five teams.
0: Yeah. Okay, uh, okay. And were you with the Bills twice, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, so it was even funny with that situation when – um the Jets released me my second year. Mm-hmm. Rex Ryan, he was up there with the Bills now, and he called me up there. And I was literally up there for one week. You know, I was killing it at practice. When I was on the practice squad, the Raiders called me and said they wanted to sign me to their team. So literally there for one week, all my stuff moved up there, oh and gosh. I got to move all the way to Oakland. So I was like, oh, man, this is crazy. But literally, they the Raiders used me for four weeks to get the Jets' playbook. Then after they beat the Jets, they released me. Then, then Rex called me back, said, we want to bring you back. End up playing with the Jets the rest of that season. Then I end up making the 53-man roster the following season. And, yeah.
0: That's, I think, when you're going through it, I'm sure it feels good to get those opportunities. Yeah. But because I have um, I have a lot of friends who played in the NFL or did play, and I think just professional sports, period, it's not just football, it can be very lonely, mm-hmm. especially when you're traveling all the time and you don't have a lot of stability and you're kind of jumping around all over the place. Mm-hmm. Did that? Did you battle that just kind of loneliness and and be feeling isolated at times? Mm,
1: not for, not for real. Just because I just I knew I had a lot of support, so I was able to you know call anybody when it, when I needed to. But I mean, I just I liked it, just being able to be you know a nomad at times and really connect with a lot of people all, all across the country.
0: So you were you were okay with that? You were okay with living the life of a nomad.
1: Yeah. Really? Yeah.
0: Why? Why is that? I don't
1: know. It's just it was just a different chapter. It was new, you know. Just not just being you know tossed around, but more so just like oh, I'm in a different area. Let me take advantage of the time that I have out here, because you know who knows? I may not be out here for long. Hmm. But I knew that just staying in New York, that this was where I wanted to be, just because. All the connections I developed, all the relationships I developed, I knew I wanted to start my own foundation out here.
0: Mm, hmm. Um. I wrote some. I want to pull this out because this was in your article. Um. And so there was a part in your players' review and piece where you were talking about while playing in the NFL, you felt like something was missing mm-hmm. and, and some parts of it got old. Yeah. So when did you start feeling that?
1: I started feeling that um, once I came up, once me and my co-founder came up with the idea of Politiscope. Like, it just, um, I just felt like I was going through the motion. especially when my brother asked me, you know, what was my purpose in life? My, um, during the time that I wasn't on the team, you know, I was just doing a lot of reading, just a, a lot of stuff, just trying to figure out me. And he asked me what was my purpose in life and i didn't know that know the answer so that's when i really started to dive deeper into me and trying to figure out who i am and what am i meant to, what was i brought on this earth to do so um once i got exposed back to you know playing on a team again it just it didn't feel the same so uh that's when i really what year
0: and how old were you at this point was
1: uh 20 It was about 25 26 okay so it's like i was going through the motions. I'm at practice telling everybody about this app that I that I've you know I already had the wireframe of it. So I used to show guys at lunch and in in the meetings, like you see this, app? like it's just showing guys the app. But I just knew and I was. And were they responsive? They just like, yo, this is dope. Like, like <laughs> even though, cause guys, you know, I wasn't interested in politics, so I knew these guys would feel the same way about it. Just the fact that it's simplified and easy now. So uh, people was loving it, getting great responses, and I was just tapped out. Like not tapped out of not physically not tapped out, but just mentally like tapped out the game just because I knew like where I just knew where I wanted to be and it wasn't with you know playing football anymore and I just seen the impact that Politiscope would have on mm. just the world.
0: Do you think you just outgrew football or did you get tired of the business of football?
1: Probably a little bit of both, just cause the Everything just is so routine, you know. I love, you know, making it to Sundays, but in between, you know, that time is such a process, you know, just physically and mentally on you. But um, yeah, just the whole routine of everything, it just got it got old kind of fast. Especially once I got, especially when you get exposed to a new world, especially just getting exposed to tech, how how I did. I'm just like, oh wow, this is like interesting. I love connecting with people, you know, just talking about this idea that I'm passionate about, and just um it was just it was just a different lane so i was just i was i was all for it
0: did you feel how did you feel so you have this group that you've always been with since you're 4 or 5 years old this football group this athlete group and then all of a sudden around 25 then you start noticing a shift in your passion did that did you feel lonely or uncomfortable with that it's almost like you Mm -hmm. did you feel like you had this secret in your head
1: i felt felt a little disconnected from i was still able to you know um be around the guys and still chop it up and just talk trash but i just felt like they really couldn't relate to you know just my next level of thinking that i just tapped into just because they were just in this mode and i and i understood that like they just they can't just because they strictly football and me i'm you know, football and this too. So I feel like, you know, uh, probably if anybody could relate, it, w- it would have been like the veterans, but the guys that I was hanging around, like they just couldn't relate.
0: Yeah, because at 23, 24, 25, most, most every, most 25 year old athlete that you're talking to, if they're physically capable of playing, mm-hmm. they don't want to talk about anything else. Mm-mm. They don't want to talk about, uh, <laughs> you know, because I, um, I don't know if I want to bring this, but I'm going to. So, one of my exes, he he played in the NFL as well. Mm-hmm. And when I was growing up as an athlete, my parents were my parents were all about get your education first. Mm-hmm. Tennis is not going to you can't go far with tennis and even if you did it's, it's not very long lived. Mm-hmm. So that was in the back of my mind. And so with him I was like, "Hey, you should start thinking about like a plan B." Mm-hmm. And it took he he we would get into fights over it because mm-hmm. He took it as if I didn't believe in his football Mm -hmm. abilities. I know you know what I'm talking about, Mm -hmm. but it's like, it's not like that. Mm -hmm. You need to, I don't care what you do. You could be um, Bill Gates, but you need a plan B. And he does. He has a plan B through Z. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And that's, it's, um, it's interesting to hear you say that because I know the people that you're surrounded by at 25 and everyone's got that tunnel vision.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So it's, um, do you remember a moment when you woke up or the day, maybe it was that day that you were talking about where you're like, this is it. Yeah, I, I, remember, I can't be here.
1: Yeah, I remember just going through the motions and, um, found myself in the meeting and, you know, I always used to sit in the front cause I was just drawing up specs for the app. I was just totally tapped out. <laughs> I'm just relying on straight physical ability once we got out there and not tripping off that just because we were in pl- we were in the playoffs. So, um, literally, I just looked up one day and I was just like, "Yo, like I don't want to be here." And that's when I realized, you know, football was my passion, but it wasn't my purpose in life. And I knew my purpose was to really wake people up with this tool that God blessed me with to, you know, show the world to, you know, use my platform of playing in the NFL, being a millennial, being a minority to create cultural change and really just do something that hasn't been done before that needed to be done before that needed to be done.
0: Mm -hmm. I love what you said in your piece about football was my passion, Mm -hmm. but politoscope is your life purpose. Mm -hmm. And I think that really resonated with me because talking about my, my tennis experience, there were moments, I feel like a lot of athletes experience it where I didn't love tennis. Like I I actually hated it. Um, And looking back at it, when you said that it made so much sense. And it's like, you can still love something, but it not be your life purpose. Mm-hmm. Like what I'm doing right now is my life purpose. Mm-hmm. That was a part of me, just a part of me. It was not all of me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's important for athletes to hear because I think where they get into trouble is I am a football player and that's it.
1: All is life. Just right. Just be an athlete. You know? Right. And it's like like I mean it's only a chapter like and people don't realize like you can still be involved with ball whatever that type of ball is you don't have to always have to play it like it's like so many other things you can do let's say with football you can be in media you can be in just communications you can still be around the game even if after you know after you physically can't play it right. but a lot of guys just want to play until the wheels fall off and then not leverage just all those people they have to connect with they don't leverage that and like, just end up back at home and just in situations they don't want to be in and end up being depressed and just a lot of things. And I just, you know, thank God that, you know, he's introduced me to, you know, my chapter, my next chapter while I was in a chapter. So that was just uh, a blessing in itself because I know, like, 95% of guys don't know what's after ball.
0: Right. Yeah. And that's kind of, that's really just kind of the purpose of why I create the show and I'm learning so much from everybody that I talk to friends and new friends and whatever. But that's the one question that I'm searching is, um, and I'm delving into to research and, and all of that stuff. And I'm so fascinated with the, the, the idea of why are some athletes able to take what they learned in sports and apply it to other fields and realms in their life while others like they could be the best at what they do. And super high functioning. But then once sport is no longer in their life, they can't, they don't know how to transfer the work ethic yeah. or the time management and the discipline. Mm-hmm. Like what makes, what made you different? What
1: I just feel like I just um, I don't know, I've just always been different. I just I truly <laughs> don't know, just cause my mom, she even said as a kid, I was just different. It was just something different about me. But it was just like um just being just surrounding myself around a lot of people. One thing I did when I got in the league. I, my brother told me, since I'm in New York, network, 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 because mm-hmm. you never know. And he always just like you never know when your time gonna be up. So that's one thing I did. I just networked because you know once I was done with ball, like I was able to just reach back into my Rolodex of connections and you know see who I could connect with to just further whatever I was trying to do. So whether it was even if it wasn't Politiscope, even if I wanted to get like a job, like have connections to, you know, get a job. So it's, uh, I feel like a lot of guys just need to, when they're at this high level, they need to network. Like, that's the biggest thing because a lot of guys... Just,
0: definitely not the only athlete that said that. And yeah. one of them, um, I think it was uh, Gerald Henderson who played in the NBA, and he was like, I wish I would have networked better um, and not just had blinders on. And he's doing that now, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of athletes that kind of agree with you.
1: Yeah, and I was just really, I was so i'm I'm kind of like a a social chameleon just 'cause I can just adapt in whatever setting, so i just had friends in, in entertainment world and tech world and this world like polit- you know politics realm so it was just like all yeah. over the place, so I've just had all types of people willing to help me you know so it was just As long as you're real with yourself, everybody people will feel their realness, so they'll be willing to help you. Yeah. Just the main thing is is just network. Network your ass off.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Well, I feel like you're you're real with yourself now, but I feel like in 2017, maybe that that probably Mm -hmm. wasn't the case. Um, And I loved... I took out a little excerpt from um, your piece, but Mm -hmm. so when did things start in 2017 because i know there was there are a lot of things and i know you also were suspended for f- four games right for mm-hmm. violating the league's performance enhancing mm-hmm. um policy so it sounds like there were just a lot of things going on mm-hmm. that year
1: yeah i was coming off an injury high ankle sprain had a fra- it was like a fractured bone in my leg as well so you know i tried to do you know th- something out of the norm, which I didn't think was bad, but ended up being illegal. So it was just like, it was a knock to me, but I thought it wasn't gonna, you know, affect my whole career, which it didn't, you know, after a while, after that stuff blew over. Cause I mean, there's so many guys that get popped for so many different, just right. uh, PEDs, you know? And it's like, I mean, it's just crazy now, but-
0: can I, You that, don't have to talk about, but yeah. can I ask what it, what it was or- yeah for your ankle or it was just
1: um some just uh, a doctor recommended I'm not going to dive into it but yeah, yeah. it was just like I wish I hadn't but it I mean it is what it is cuz I feel like now everything you know it happens everything happens for a reason so it was it was already written before I was even born that this was going to happen so I, it's all good
0: You know what it's um it's a part of the game it's not just part of football mm-hmm. uh I've definitely um yeah, it's one of those weird things that everybody knows is going on, mm-hmm. but no one really talks about it in the public sphere because there's a lot of scrutiny and all that stuff. But it's like when your livelihood, I'm not necessarily condoning it, but I've seen it and I understand why people do it. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I'm <laughs> when I made my tennis come back a couple of years ago, I decided uh, after I left ESPN, um, I wanted to go back. And, and play professional tennis because I realized I was unhappy with how my career ended. So I wanted closure. Mm. And there was a part of me that was like, you know what? I, if I had the opportunity, I almost would like to try Peds Cause I would just, I would want to see how well my body would function. Mm. And I feel like I wouldn't, cause it, I ended up tearing my shoulder. So I was like, maybe, maybe I would have avoided my fourth surgery or whatever. Yeah. Um, so anyways, um, so you go through all of that and then what what's the rest of the season looking like?
1: Just a whole bunch of just training, just waiting to get calls, waiting to get workouts, cause you know, the PED situation was still pretty pretty fresh. So guys were trying to stay away from me at the time. But then, you know, um, you know, it was just it was a lot of training just waiting. So in between that time it was about a month and a half, and that was like the longest I've ever not been on the team. The longest I've ever not been on the team before that was like, I don't know, like two days. So it was just like, it was a lot, just a lot on me mentally.
0: guys were, so guys were staying away from you?
1: Yeah, teams were like, it was just like, it Um. wasn't the right time, you know, it was like maybe towards the end of the season or, you know, when they needed more receivers. So at that time, everybody was good with receivers. So it was just like, she's just waiting. So um and that's you know when Politiscope came. That's when you know I really started reading and really starting just. It was just a lot of stuff happening. You know my my girl. You know she realized like, yo, he might not be worth shit. So it was like let me uh step out of here. So which was cool, and just uh just at that time I really wasn't. I just really wasn't in the right headspace in any way to even handle a relationship, and just um uh, just even with just the whole person I trust. You know uh taking the money from me and just really putting me in a hole financially on the real estate side really just uh threw me off so it was like a trifecta, but it was a uh, i mean it was,
0: i think it was more than a trifecta it sounds like it was like five things yeah
1: it really was it was like <laughs> five things i it was it was the most i didn't the most stuff I had to take all at yeah. once it was like a, a hard pill to swallow but uh, after i you know got through that and you know it was everything started just going uphill
0: i every person that I've talked to, we always dive into one critical point and I always tell everybody, I was like, you know, when people are hearing other successful people's inspiring stories, mm-hmm. we kind of gloss over the difficult periods. Cause mm-hmm. it's like, Oh, you know, I got laid off. I got, I got laid off from ESPN, mm-hmm. but then two and a half years later, I'm like bouncing back and mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I've got my own shirt, whatever. But it, I, I, at least with my platform, I've wanted to be open about what happened to my journey
1: mm-hmm.
0: so people can understand that success must come with failure or really, 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 not just like pitfalls, but really deep, dark moments. Mm-hmm. So I'm not picking on you when I'm talking no, no, about no. this moment. But so you you get injured, you get suspended. And then the bills cut you mm-hmm. and then your girlfriend breaks up with you mm-hmm. over the phone.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Bad move by her <laughs> over the phone. Yeah. That's not nice. Do you remember a moment that was, that really stands out where you, you were like, I, I don't know if I can get out of this.
1: Yeah. It was the, the point, you know, um, I found myself at uh, home Depot just cause I was going, um, going to, you know, the stores every morning to get more just uh equipment to whether it was paint or there's buying some caulk, you know dry do the drywall and all that crazy stuff i was uh um, that was the morning my girl called me it was i was still just in that moment of just just being hurt you know just from um, having to do all this stuff and not being on the team and then she breaking up with me it was just i felt so defeated and i felt like just like dang i'm like i don't know what to do but I started, you know, I, I've always had a spiritual relationship with God. So, you know, I, you know God told me, you know, you got to forgive. Because if I didn't forgive, it was going to be the end of me. I could have went, you know, instead of going right, I end up going left. And who knows, end up getting somebody pregnant, end up, you know, committing a crime, doing some stuff that's not me, you know. And I had to just wholeheartedly forgive. I had to forgive, you know, my girl. I had to forgive the person who stole from me. I had to forgive myself. So that I can grow from it and understand that, you know, um it's, it's a way out of this situation. Like, you know, it was uh, I had a rise and this was a major fall, but I feel like this was like the rebirth of me that really opened up me in a different way that I can really uh just move in a just a just a, a better way, just being the best version of Walt, because that version of Walt was I was just vibrating at a low level and just, there was just a lot of stuff just yeah. happening to me. But just ever since I decided to forgive wholeheartedly and just really just uh, just reinvent myself in a way, well, just step into the new me, it's, uh, it's been a blessing.
0: When, even though you were kind of already maybe realizing what your relationship with, with football was, which is a passion, but no longer really a part of your future. Or, or you saw bigger and better things for you. It was, I would imagine, it was still hard to walk away from it.
1: Oh, yeah. It was definitely hard. It was like right after, you know, um, you know, once we came up with the idea of Politiscope and, you know, you know, the season was finally over and I'm just fully focused on Politiscope, still working out for football, just because at that time, the, the Jags didn't want to sign me back, which was cool. Uh, my receiver coach, who was my receiver coach for the Bills and the Jets? He called me because he was the, the receiver coach for the Cowboys at the time. Well, now, and he wanted me to come down there and play for him because I mean he was gonna take care of me. But um, he was just like, you know, come on down, you know, and we gonna we gonna go from there. And I was just like, oh man. And this was when our, you know, we already raised half a million for the company, mm-hmm. so it was like, I'm, I'm, I'm give me give me give me 24 hours to think about it, pray on it. So I prayed on it and I just realized like. You know, I just knew with football, it's going to be the next two or three more years if I was still playing, a lot of bouncing around, and that was just something mentally and emotionally I didn't want to do anymore. And I just seen the longevity of Politiscope and how much of an impact it can make instead of me just playing ball and just, quote, unquote, riding off into the sunset and disappearing and all that crazy stuff. But I just seen the longevity with Politiscope. So I called my coach back next day. Well, I texted him and I told him, you know, I appreciate it, but I'm, I'm good. And just because I told what him whats his political.
0: response was he,
1: I, he mean, was, I mean he was shocked just because that's been my yeah. guy since I was still a kid you know coming into the league so he was shocked about it but he understood it so he was just like man i'm I'm proud of you and uh you already know you can call me whenever so it was just it was just crazy because right after you know I said no to that situation guy was like you sure you sure you're done and then six more teams called me uh trying to sign me so it was just crazy um so damn, they kept
0: it was like Dallas, then another, team, then another team, then another team, then another team. Yeah. And then three more teams. And then
1: I was just like, I'm good. That's cause I that's how I knew, you know, I was being tested once again. But it was just like, it looked good, but it for the long haul, this that's not what I need to this not what I'm supposed to be doing now.
0: It's the stupidest analogy in my head, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's like when you're at this, it's like when you're at the clubs mm-hmm. and the lights are low, and <laughs> you see this person, you're like, they look good, <laughs> but it's like right. bait, straight bait. Yeah, and then the lights turn on, and you're like, that's not what I. And then, like, then I mean, the truth reveals itself. I'm you're dead. like, that's not for me. <laughs> right, I'm
1: straight. Never mind.
0: Um, and then you said that it seemed like some people turned their backs to you.
1: Yeah, just during that time of just that downfall of me, like I'm just a friend, like even when I decided to give up on ball, you know, friends that I was close with, grew up with, playing ball with, playing on the same team with, um, turned on me just because they, they didn't want to, you know, either A, help me out or just be just be there for me through this transition, which was cool, Just but it was just definitely a,
0: People was looking at me
1: crazy. My family, like they was like, "What are you doing?" Just like, you know, why are you retiring from football? And, you know, just yeah. so they
0: were just kind of. Um, and this is a this is a huge issue, I I think in in youth sports. But then, as a lot of these athletes go on, is that the the influence of the support system? Um, just studies and research has shown that a huge reason why a lot of these athletes will continue to play until the wheels fall off. It has to do with their family and everybody and the mentors. Um, and you are not the the only NFL player that I've talked to that has said that even when this person, another player, they went through an injury and it was clearly going to be career ending, that people still turn their backs on that person. <laughs> And it seems to be just, I don't know if this happens to everybody. I don't know, but it seems to happen to a lot of, a lot of athletes. Yeah,
1: definitely. I'm, I'm positive it happens to a lot of people because you hear it all the time in different, just, uh, different scenarios, but it's, it's, it's all the same.
0: I just don't understand, is that because, is it because they're they're mad? Maybe they, they're, like, I'm just oh, trying to make sense of it. Maybe are they trying to and it's hard to through? explain just
1: because it's like, oh, you out of the fraternity, especially if it's a player, like, oh, we're not as close now just because you can't really relate because you're not in the trenches with me anymore. But what about the, the
0: people that aren't even playing today? So then it's they like, just you're not to in the, the trenches. Yeah,
1: they're trying to live vicariously through you, and now they can't now because now you basically like them, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. it's like... It's, uh, I mean, it's tough because you already know just in America, you know, football is, I know. it's like, that is, football, <laughs> It was basketball, football, I don't even know the baseball world, but yeah, it's like, basketball and football, were like once you're done, I don't, it's, it's just different, the energy change up, and it's like, a lot of guys can't contest to that.
0: That's, I don't know, it's just, uh, it's infuriating to me because it's, it's like, okay, so you have some of these people around you not just you specifically just Mm -hmm. that general term and it's like you have friends who aren't playing sports you're not an athlete and then you're going to get pissed at your friend because they're not playing anymore Mm -hmm. like what gives you the right to be pissed at them for making a life decision like if somebody makes a career change you don't go over to them and say, hey, why are you leaving the the tech business? Mm-hmm. Or why are you, why did you drop out of medical school, you know, yeah, or whatever else? The
1: real ones, I mean, the real ones going to be there. The ones that's not real, that's just, that's just what's supposed to happen. She was basically you're just uh, weeding out the, I ain't going to say snakes, but just, yeah. like, you just weeding out the, you cutting off the fat. Shoot, whoever's going to be, be there for you at your lowest and, you know, not dip on you, then those are the ones who should be there for you when you're back on top.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I took out an ex- excerpt, which was probably my one of my favorite parts. Mm-hmm. Um, they're your words, so I don't know if you would prefer to read them or do you want me to read Let's it? See.
1: I mean, I can read it if you want, but if you want to read, what you what you want?
0: What do you want? What
1: do you want? Do you want? This your show. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'll read it for okay. you, just because you got it pointed towards me. <laughs> <laughs> I was in such a dark place, just so. I don't know how to put it, really, just basically low. It was like everything was snowballing on me or like I was suffocating and couldn't come up for air. I was at the lowest point ever in my life. No team, no girl, no money, heartbroken from three different angles. So I sat in that parking lot, devastated, defeated, not knowing if I could ever bear the thought of moving on. Then I heard this voice in my head say, loud and clear, you must forgive, forgive wholeheartedly and you must do it now, or it may be the end of you. I heard God loud and clear, and even though I was hurting and on the brink of destruction, I knew what I had to do. I said right then and there out loud, with my eyes full of tears, Lord, I forgive my ex for breaking up with me. Lord, I forgive the person who stole from me, and most of all, Lord, I forgive myself. Fill my heart with forgiveness, love, and compassion, and understanding, because I'm not perfect, but I forgive.
0: It's awesome. Well, when you read it out loud, what do you what do you remember of that? What do you? I mean, I still remember
1: that? it like it was yesterday, just because it was just so. Like I said, that was a turning point because I feel like a lot of people can't. They, it's hard for people to forgive in this day and age, and it's just like just being able to forgive. If you don't forgive, you just you just hurting yourself at the end of the day, like, just because you're still holding on to that s- situation that happened and it's just constantly just going to affect you and how you move in life or future relationships with people. So it's like being able to just forgive wholeheartedly and put it behind me. I was able to grow and really just step, you know, to another level. Because it's like, to forgive people, it just takes it takes a little more than the usual. Like, because it's like, man. Like, yeah,
0: it's harder than anything else.
1: Yeah, that is. Like, it's like... <laughs> Like, it's hard to explain, but it's just like, man, just forgiving. It's like, it's, uh, I mean, it's it's different, but like different in a good way because everybody quick to have these negative just, oh, forget that person. Oh, I never forget. remember what they did to you. But it's like, no, it's okay. I understand. You know, who knows what they went through, like I said before. And I, I forgive you because I'm not going to let you hold me back from what's, you know, what God has for me in my future because it's like, who am I to not forgive if God forgives me every day for what I think, what I do, any, any action. So who am I to not forgive? So.
0: That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you for, for reading that. Um, my, my dad always said, and he didn't say this to me until, uh, I was in my twenties. I could have heard it a lot sooner, probably wouldn't have registered, but he said, prim, when you're angry, the only person that suffers is you. Uh-huh. And that always just st- stuck in my head because I do think that we live in a culture where we like to get revenge, especially in today's, as you know, political landscape where uh-huh. everybody has an opinion and gets really upset when people don't agree with their opinion. Uh-huh. And then we hold on to this. And it's just this, it's led to this toxic culture. But um, but you were able to forgive, um, was it just the voice? Where, where else did that come from? Where did you read it from Some Where did that but, knowledge about I mean, forgiveness come from?
1: It just, it was there. Like, like I said, I had a pretty, I have a pretty strong relationship with God. So he just always, you know, I just listened. Once I got to the point where I was having a lot of alone time, like I was just able to listen. And most of the time it was him telling me or my higher self, higher self telling me what to do and just, I just heard it loud and clear. And I knew that was, it wasn't coming from me saying, you must forgive. It was like, it was just coming from, from God and just really, um, I just, I knew it was real because I just had the chills go down my back. And it was just like, I just felt the presence of God in that car just because I, it could have, it definitely could have went just a total, just different direction. And Mm -hmm. who knows where I would have been if I didn't forgive.
0: So you're sitting in that car and you feel that. And then what happens
1: next? I mean, it was just a, a weight was lifted off of me. Like the, the pain was still there, but it wasn't as, as deep as it was. It was just like, like, and it was at first it was like a knife, you know, just straight through me, but it was just, it was just now just like a, a freaking safety pin now, the point is still there, but it wasn't as deep so as So
0: how was. did you cope with that pain? Even if it, because it doesn't happen overnight. Yeah. So how do you deal for people, for somebody who's dealing with that kind of pain uh-huh. and they're going, they're trying to figure their way out of this hole. How did you deal with that?
1: I mean, just constant, um, prayer, constant meditation, because meditation, meditating, just put me at peace with everything and just put me in a different state of mind and just with meditating, you can't be judging people and just ah I can't and meditating. It's like yeah. it's like it doesn't make sense. It's like an oxymoron. In a sense. So <laughs> yeah. It like, so it was just really um, meditating meditating, really just bending about it, just talking about it and just releasing it, and just just yeah, just doing that. That was the main prayer and meditation was the main thing that just really got me over that. And of course, reading and just really understanding emotions, understanding the mind, understanding just uh just forgiveness.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, meditation I could see is a huge component of that um, for for people who don't meditate. I think there's still there's a lot of people doing it. The whole mindfulness and yoga um, trend is is on the up and up. And I know there's a lot of people that kind of think it's a little, uh, you know, I don't know what the word is, phony or hippie <laughs> or whatever. But it 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 really works. I don't know. I don't know a lot of elite or successful just people in general that don't meditate mm-hmm. because I think um for those that are listening just to give you a backdrop of it, what it does it basically trains the brain mm-hmm. um to stay in the present moment and also you you become trained to separate yourself from your thoughts mm-hmm. and that's the biggest thing is like you don't you aren't your thoughts. Mm-hmm. And that was a confusing thing for me because I was like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm not my thoughts. But the brain is used to, it's a tool and it likes to fix itself on problems and ideas. And that's what you're talking about. Like if you're mad at somebody, it likes to grind and think about it. Like, what can I do? <laughs> um, okay, so that happens. And then what happens with Politoscope? So what, what's what's the turning point?
1: So with Politoscope, well, first off, the this- just talk about what, what Politiscope is. It created a player profile app for politicians that breaks down and explains every bill a politician votes for or against in the layman's terms. So really just making it that one-stop shop for all politics, whether it's calling your politician off the app, following them on all social media, call, yeah, um, registering to vote, literally everything you need about politics in a matter of you know four to five clicks, being informed, seeing statistics on each bill, literally just... It's just everything that you it's need. Like
0: fantasy football, but okay. in it, but like a beginner's. But not fantasy in... football, but for politics.
1: Exactly, and even t- politicians they they love it just because it's they don't have to do all this research because it got it from the bill breakdown from easy medium to hard. So the deeper you go down, the the more in depth it gets, but it's still pretty uh, it's broken down simply, and it's I mean it's, it's super dope. But uh, with everything with Politiscope just started to. Um, when we created the idea of Politiscope, we, um, like I said, the vision came straight from God, just my best friend, being a political junkie. I hated politics at the time, and he just always broke down politics to me into a way that I can understand. So, and you guys were
0: still in the league when this was going on, when you came up with the idea?
1: I wasn't yeah, I was. I wasn't on a team at that time, Okay, but it was late December 2017.
0: So it was after you got cut. So it was that same- Yeah season okay mm-hmm. that you came up with okay yeah so
1: everything that happened with me just being in the, at that low time the politoscope idea that happened probably like came up uh was born like two weeks prior huh so it was i mean two weeks not uh, two weeks before yeah yeah so two weeks before everything was happening but it was um that's
0: that's fascinating mm-hmm. because as one part of you is closing or mm-hmm. dying. The other one had already just been born.
1: Exactly, so it was just like, when I had this idea, it was like a that's a Raven moment because i just seen it when we were talking about it. I'm like, yo, what if we created an app that broke down politics the way you break it down to me? So we got online, started looking for apps and websites that were similar to what I was thinking about creating, couldn't find anything. So I told Jay, I'll be right back, ran to CVS, grabbed some printed paper, came home, Drew it out how I seen it in my vision. Had Jay put his political content, political input into each page. And then 20 some pages later, it was Politoscope. And then three months after that, once the season was up, we ended up raising, uh, well, we ended up finishing our prototype. And then three months after that, we ended up raising half a million. And then uh, after that, we just.
0: I love how you simplify it because it is not that easy to create an app. And I, yeah, (laughs) my my husband Ben is. my husband Ben is is kind of in the tech space and venture capitalist space, and he's he's done some stuff in that. And it is not easy because you have to go through, you have to figure out the algorithm, you have to figure out the graphics, you have to go through like the beta period, you have to get investors, and it's like constant pitching and pitching and pitching. And it's day. not even just like pitching; you have to get in, you have to like call 17 people just to get in front of. Like the guy that you want to talk to.
1: Yeah, and it was just like it was a blessing just being able to tap into all my connections and people just seeing I just me having a great idea and having something already laid out our, you know so fast. Like people I was getting in rooms that I never thought I'd be in far as powerful powerful rooms and even being in a room with Derek Jeter, having lunch with Derek Jeter 101, having just uh being in rooms with top artists and top just entertainers and politicians politicians, and i'm just like yo this is crazy because i've never been in a room like this before playing in the nfl yeah. so it's just like being exposed to this stuff because i had a great idea and now it is here and just the traction we didn't had so far we now we over twelve thousand users after launching uh this past year january 19th um or all organic users
0: 2001 have- yep I- <laughs>
1: Appreciate you, appreciate you. No, yeah. no,
0: I haven't. It's, <laughs> it's actually, it is actually extremely useful. And I am embarrassed to say, because I know today's political landscape, it's extremely important to get involved in everything. But for me, I think the hardest thing, um, I enjoy, clearly, I love in-depth one-on-one conversations because the information is easy to filter and you're getting it from the horse's mouth, mm-hmm. right? I think the thing that is really annoying about politics is that, everything is just it's like a pitch and people will say that i believe in this but then you see them doing something else mm-hmm. so it gets really confusing and for me it's hard to decipher and sift through all the noise yeah so i have your app up on my phone right now but you've got like today in congress so this is basically like a rundown of all the this is just kind of like the, the
1: the bills that just got introduced or uh-huh. working their way through the house to get passed mm-hmm. but um even on our 2.0 version that's launching in a couple of weeks, we're adding the elections tab, so you can see who's leading, how much uh, money they've raised, who, done, who they, who big companies they've raised from, and you can actually donate to every politician on the app on the new version. So that's going to be a game changer. As well as you can support and oppose politicians as mm. well. So you can share your support and oppose list on Twitter or Instagram. So let's say. Uh, what was it, uh, Taylor Swift, she tweeted about this politician and she wanted to get him out of his seat. And literally, she ended up getting him out of his seat because everybody ended up voting against him. And that's the power of just Twitter and social media. So imagine Taylor Swift sharing her whole support and oppose list. Oh, everybody going, like, I, I trust Taylor. So I'm just, I'm going to, vote for these people as well. Wow. Just the power of that, you know, in itself.
0: And the power of Taylor Swift. (laughs) Exactly. And the power of Taylor Swift. So
1: that was just, just being able to have that type of information at the Mm -hmm. power in the, like in a matter of clicks is, I mean, it's powerful. And
0: you have a lot of information. mm -hmm. I I don't even know how you were able to, because I've seen some apps and like the development of it. Mm -hmm. um, And it is, it is a process. Mm-hmm. So it, but you have a lot of information on it. You've got the bills on one page. The next topic is hot topics. Mm-hmm. You've got business, civil rights, drug policy, economy, um, education, environment, food, water, foreign policy, guns, healthcare, immigration, mm-hmm. law enforcement. I mean, and then on your next, you've got Daily Scope. That's like the media. Uh-huh. And then you've got Meet Congress, which is really cool. So you've got a list. It's basically like player profiles and mm-hmm. you can go to any one of the representatives there mm-hmm. and you can just follow read up them. on them and follow them
1: and see everything they're doing. And like, and this is just like, just think of how Facebook was way back in the day when it was just Facebook and you had to get invited to it and how basic it was. That's kind of how we are right now, but we on steroids compared to how they were just visually. Oh, and just, yeah. Where we at, so just think well, about— it's not
0: just, like, anecdotal <laughs> people posting stuff. Exactly. This is, like, real information. Exactly.
1: So it's, like, this, like, the updates we have in stores, like, it's really going to separate ourselves from anybody who are competitors. Like, it's—like, I'm excited just where we're headed with this. And like I said, just using my platform and just in this day and day, ain't no better time— There isn't no better time than now to have a tool like this, especially with the political climate and just how biased it is. And just it's like um, so tribalistic Mm -hmm. because everybody is like, oh, I'm over here. I'm over here. And I don't care what, you know what I'm saying? And why why don't we just come together with the facts and not play this whole high school, you know, click thing. You feel me? So it's like coming together with straight facts. And if you are, you know, feeling some type of way about the facts, then it lets us know, like, all right, you a little, you a little corrupt or you a little <laughs> iffy. Right. So, I mean, just bringing a straight facts. So it's like either you with it or you not, but either way you own it.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is extremely uh, useful. Are we good with the battery and all that? So, okay. Um, I am, I mean, when I was on this thing, I was really fascinated. I just, the content. So how do for a lot of these, um, For a lot of the people out there, athletes are non-athletes and they have an idea, but the, the war of attrition or whatever you want to call it from just having an everybody has an idea, Mm -hmm. but to take an idea and put it into motion, Mm. what's the difference? How were you guys able to put this idea into motion?
1: I feel like everybody has great ideas. Like it's just a matter of just execution. How... Are, are you willing to ex- are you willing to sacrifice? Are you willing to do what needs to be done to make to make it to the next step to bringing your baby to life whatever that idea is and I mean if you are, I mean it's gonna come to life, but if not, it's forever gonna be in the cloud or forever gonna be at step one so can you give
0: an example like what's something that you would do
1: like far as like
0: anything work well, ethic getting up what do you cold call people
1: I mean like, all that like sh- when I first started, you know, asking, you know, looking for investors, it was cold calling, you know, just re- networking. That's a, definitely networking and trying to piece together, all right, what room should I be in? What events should I go to that really maximize just my opportunity to get investments? And, and just really. Uh, but
0: like, how do you mm-hmm. even then, like, how do you network? Because mm-hmm. if you're out of the NFL now, mm-hmm. it's not like you're like, oh, I'm going to go to Bill's charity event. Is You know, so how do you figure out what events mm-hmm. to go
1: to? I mean. I mean, Still could if I wanted to, but it's just more so. Um, like I said, I've been blessed to really just connect with a lot of people on the East Coast, and you know, people just rock with me because I'm, I'm me, you know. And it's just being genuine, being real, and you know, just being a, a good person. So they just, hey, come to me to come with me to this event or come with me to this event, and just really just me, just following my intuition. Like it's times where, and just this is a just long story short. Just following your listening to your higher self. It was uh, about a year ago, my boy was security guard for Drake, and um he they had they had a concert in at Barclays and he invited me and I was just like, I'm good, cause I just finished working out and some told me, Why don't you go? You never know who you're gonna meet. So I end up I was like, All right, I'm gonna go. So I ended up going and up you know, he ended up giving me um you know, tickets to the VIP area. So the mm-hmm. first person I've seen was somebody that I knew from up at Buffalo, but they're in Toronto, and he was like, "Hey, how you doing? It's been a while." I told him what I was doing with football. I mean, what I was doing with the app, and he was like, "You know, come up to um, come up to Toronto next weekend. It's uh, it's TIFF, it was a film festival." Mm-hmm. So I was like, "I don't know," and then my higher self was like, "You never know who you' are gonna meet," and so. I was like, all right, cool. I'm gonna go now, just because I already got here and met this person again. So Maz well go. So next thing you know, long story short, end up meeting one of my advisors that end up helping us really making our the back end of Politoscope airtight, connecting with all types of people all over the place. End up meeting somebody who ended up connecting me with me getting connected with the guys at Players Tribune and now the story. So it's like it's like all that yes. networking. Like over this past year and a half, I probably done networked with over 600 people. Like, just because uh, just I know it's it's another opportunity to get in front of somebody, you know.
0: And a lot of it is also just being really open about your concept. Mm-hmm. And the moment we started talking about Politoscope, like, your eyes lit up. Yeah. And you just got a big... <laughs> it's like an eight-year-old Walter just yeah. smiling. my yeah. get so, <laughs> <It's> <laughs> you get That's my so excited yeah. about it. And you can tell. And I think that passion is extremely infectious. Mm-hmm. It really is. It's almost... You, you don't have to be the smartest person in the room, but mm-hmm. when you are passionate about something that alone will, that's the thing that's going to carry your baby, the concept.
1: And that's one thing I feel like I'm, I'm not going to say I'm the best salesman, but when it's something I'm passionate about and I believe in, like I'm i am going to sell the hell out of it and shoot, you going to like it. So it's like with Politiscope, I can't do nothing but sell it just because it's, I mean, it's just dope. And I feel like everybody, this is something everybody needs. Like, not one person say i i can use this but no they you can
0: i actually and it's not even just like a like like some Mm -hmm. people like i actually really need this because there's a lot of information to sift through um what i found interesting in your in your piece about the players tribune also you mentioned that football has prepared you for the tech space which is you know, we're, we're kind of exaggerating, but it's 99 percent white, you know, yeah. uh, it's predominantly no, no, that's, white male. No, you're
1: not exaggerating. It is. It's 99 oh, percent white and the other one percent is women and minorities.
0: I didn't realize that was an actual stat. I thought it was yeah, just it's hyperbolic. Ridi- it,
1: it's, it's ridiculous. Wow. Man. So that's it's,
0: actually kind of sad that it's not. um I mean, it
1: is, it is super sad just because it's like it lets you know, like, just where just society is headed just like they really trying to and I ain't gonna say they but it's just like just really trying to just get pushed out of that realm because that's what I mean that's where everything is tech that's where a lot of the money is in tech tech and real estate that's where a lot of the money is so it's like um you just see I mean it's right there in the numbers yeah
0: I mean that's really unfortunate I mean that's actually kind of scary especially if that's an implication for the future Mm -hmm. um But you said that football has prepared you Mm -hmm. for the tech space. And I'm so curious, how is that? Because when you're, you know, when you're pitching, Mm -hmm. you're in front of venture capitalists and all of them are older white males. Mm -hmm. So how did football prepare you for that?
1: I feel like football prepared me just because it's just, um, football has put me in a lot of uncomfortable positions. Dealing with a lot of adversity just from a mental and physical standpoint, but just football has prepared me just uh, giving me confidence, even though I don't know fully what I'm doing, but I know I'm just, I'm just doing it just just going and just we just gonna roll with it from there and just being able to just um, just react, just just being able to Uh, put together a team and just build I'm big on just team camaraderie so being able to just feel and see who's the best pieces to complete this puzzle so I feel like that's definitely contributes to playing football or playing any sport because you just want to pick the best people and on top of that I just know that I'm not no tech guy to the T, so I'm gonna bring somebody in who's a tech guy. Mm-hmm. I'm not no uh, developer, so I'm gonna bring somebody in who's a developer. I'm not expert fundraiser, so I'm gonna bring in all the pieces where I'm lacking, so that we can be each other's you know crutches, where where one person has a weakness, another person has a strength, and it goes around a table, around mm-hmm. a circle, and we constantly holding each other up. So that's what you know. That's that's what a team is. Shoot, when you think about every position. So yeah,
0: that's awesome. Um, do you have any lasting advice for how about for a lot of the athletes Mm -hmm. um who might have been in a similar situation as you and you know i know in your piece you just kind of mentioned i I hope that i can help unlock the potential and help people find their life purpose what kind of any last minute advice do you have for people out there who are kind of going through that Mm -hmm. transition something that you've learned about yourself over the last couple of years
1: definitely say just try to definitely read And read meaningful books to really just try to figure out who you are to tap into yourself. Definitely, if you're a spiritual person, definitely talk to God because he's going to reveal everything to you that you need to know. All you got to do is ask. Uh, Just definitely just try to just figure out who you are just doing the stuff that you don't do. I, I mean, just not that you don't do, but just definitely read, definitely meditate, definitely pray. 'Cause once you start doing that, you just start you you're listening, like your ears open up even more mm. and you become just you start to um get a stronger intuition about things and a stronger gut feeling. So just um yeah, definitely read. That's the main thing. Cause I feel like a lot of guys, just a lot of people don't read. And it's like, you know, just open up a book because it's so much gold and I love books. it.
0: yeah, I was actually reading the uh, Bill Gates documentary. Um, mm. did, did you see that uh, inside Bill's mind? Mm-hmm. Apparently, he reads hundred and forty pages in an hour. So when he goes on a on a work trip, he'll read up to anywhere from like ten to fourteen books. That's crazy. And apparently his retention is like ninety percent. So there's no reason there's, I mean, obviously there's a reason why he's so successful. Mm -hmm. My my retention rate is like 2%. (laughs) Like I read a lot, but my retention rate is. That's uh, why proof
1: isn't a pudding. Even if you suck at reading, one thing that really helped me retain a lot of information is I read, then I listened to the audio, and then I was just it just hit more senses. So I was seeing it, yeah. I was hearing it, and I was able to visualize it. Oh. So definitely, you know, try to you know read, reading it. it helps you get through books faster too. Because sometimes I was, you know, I'm, I'm a slow reader, so sometimes I'll be reading and then I'll just fall asleep on accident. But <laughs> must
0: be that not that interesting for, whatever you're reading. Oh, no, it's
1: interesting. It's just I'm freaking. I'm 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 a grandpa at heart, so I'd be so I'm done. But. Definitely try to try to audio while okay. you're reading. So it's, it's like somebody reading you a story, but you're just following along and visualizing it and just going with it. That, that, that's what helped me. I
0: love it. <laughs> All right, Grandpa at heart. Walter, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on the show so and like, opening prim. up and everything. I, I really appreciate. I appreciate Your story you, is inspiring and we're going to be fo- following Politiscope. Where can people find you?
1: You can find me and Politiscope on Instagram, on Twitter. You can find me on Instagram, SpeedKills9. Um, going to change that pretty soon. <laughs> but um, you can follow Politiscope at uh, Politiscope app. On Twitter, definitely download Twitter. I mean download Politoscope. It's yeah. on in the App Store and in the um uh, you can download App Store and Google, Google Play. And
0: whatever. 2.0 is coming out
1: soon. 2.0 coming out in a couple okay. of weeks. Excited about that. So do
0: I need to download the 2.0? No, it's gonna it's gonna oh, automatically it's gonna so okay. then
1: you just gonna be like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. But I'm excited. Okay. I'm excited for it because it's I'm it's a game changer. You. Thank cool. you.
0: Thank you. <laughs> Over the course of this season in the next chapter. I've pointed out multiple times how sport can sometimes interfere with an athlete's ability to transition from the game. And I really don't mean to frame sports as a negative experience. My only aim is to just cast a spotlight on all sides of the athletic experience, the positives, the negatives, and of course, everything else in between. Now, in this case, Walter's story is a fantastic example of how sport can prepare you in a great way for the inevitable pivot into your next chapter. In his case, football really prepared him for the entrepreneurial path and the startup world because football has put him in so many uncomfortable positions. And as a result, he's become so comfortable with being uncomfortable. And even when he's not really sure where he's headed and is confronted with this imposter syndrome, Football has taught him to have faith in his physical and mental abilities and to have confidence that he can handle just about anything that comes his way. And I think a lot of people believe confidence is just this mindset and attitude that can happen like that, but it's not an overnight endeavor. You have to build confidence. You have to build the confidence muscle, so to speak. And it's acquired through experience. It's acquired through repetition, through hours and hours of practice, through mistake after mistake after mistake and failure after failure. And the reason why failure is so important to the building of confidence is because going through that type of adversity enables you to learn more about your craft. To develop that resiliency and thick skin that's required to achieve a certain level of success and to build this inner belief that no matter what happens to you, no matter what occurs throughout this process, nobody wants this more than you do. And nobody has been through the things that you have been through to achieve this goal. And that confidence that Walter speaks of is not something that happens overnight. It is a long process that takes days, months, and oftentimes years. And sport can help accelerate that process. So to everyone listening to this episode, especially to all my young listeners, the ones who often ask the question, how do I become confident? I really hope Walter's story and and this explanation helps just a little bit. As always, feel free to send me your thoughts and questions and comments. You can hit me up at Prim underscore on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. The next chapter with Prim Seripipad is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.